Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, this is week number four of the podcast. We're back to the more traditional after last week's uh, deep dive into a single episode uh, because we had Will here watching his first ever episode, basically, to explain with it. So that was a unique experience. But uh, as usual, I am joined by a special guest today, uh, a special guest who's contacted us from quite some distance. So uh, would you like to introduce yourself, special guest? Hello, I am special guest Kelly, or Trek Troll on Twitter, um, and I am coming to you from Barbados. Excellent. All the way from sunny, presumably Barbados. <laughs> but, yes, uh, it's sunny most of the time. It's a lot more exotic than where I am, but uh, anyway, we, we are united in the love of Trek, at least, I suppose. <laughs> so there is yes, that. universal language. <laughs> Absolutely, and and what it what a language it is. So uh, yeah, that's great. So what it is basically, um, in case anybody's new to the podcast, this is only the fourth episode. Uh, the way we do it is that section one is a section where I basically get to know my guest and ask a few questions about Star Trek. Uh, section two is what I call the hit or miss section, where I basically throw out random things from throughout the Star Trek franchise. Uh, ask my guest if uh, if you think it's a hit or a miss, Kelly, and then give my own opinion after that. Uh, debate back and forth if necessary but it's never really gotten all that heated because we all we all tend to be quite nice people in the Trek community at least the ones I interact with I think so uh, and then fin- yeah exactly and then finish up with uh, an episode review which I probably should have said up top but the episode review this week is an episode of Star Trek Discovery it's the first time we've delved into new Trek uh, and it's the episode magic to make the sanest man go mad which you may know as the <laughs> the return of uh, of Rain Wilson's Harry Mudd to Discovery, his second appearance. So we'll get into that later. But um, without further ado, I'm going to jump us straight into section one, which is the section that I call Healing Frequencies Open. Uh, and uh, that's basically, as I said, just basically a getting to know you type uh, excuse. So first of all, Kelly, uh, not to put you on the spot, but do you remember what got you interested in watching Star Trek and what was the kind of first episode hooked you in that you ever maybe saw or, or loved? Yes, well, this is going to be very easy for me. Um, I was just uh, re-listening to your, I think it was your last episode with Linda, when you had Linda on, and oh, yes. um, he was like digging into her memory, being like, oh, when I was really little, I, you know, I was watching TNG or, or whatever it was. Yeah. I discovered Star Trek like maybe three or four years ago, so wow, it's okay. very fresh to me. Um, I, I was actually, um, my first Star Trek introduction series encounter was discovery so um i i (laughs) the way people talk about how much they love uh tos and tng that is kind of how i feel about discovery like that's my favorite ship burnham's my favorite captain like a lot of a lot of it is just because it was my first you know i was browsing netflix and i was super bored and i I, netflix had been recommending star trek discovery to me at the, the big banner at the top for yeah, ages yeah. and I was just like oh Netflix you're being so obnoxious like I don't know Star Trek and it was very intimidating for me because obviously even if you don't know Star Trek you know Star Trek I mean I knew it was this behemoth franchise mm. and I was like I'm not going to recognize any of the characters I'm not going to understand what's going on so I, I've always been into sci-fi but like th- th- there was never a Venn diagram of like Star Trek and you know me and my interests um, right. and then eventually a friend of mine 
was like, you're watching Star Trek Discovery, right? I was like, no, I don't, I don't know Star Trek. I'm, I'm not, I'm not into Star Trek. I don't understand it. And they were like, no, seriously, you need to just watch the first episode. Just watch the first episode and you'll be into it. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a try and I blame you if it doesn't work out. <laughs> if like my hopes and dreams of this being good are shattered. I think I got about like 10 or 15 minutes in when I, um, the Klingons appear for the first time and they're talking backwards and forwards with each other. And honestly, my mind was blown. It was the most incredible thing I had ever, ever seen. I was like, it's like legit aliens, but like they're angry and they're going to war. <laughs> I was so, so into it. And um, it was really great coming at it. Now, obviously, I've, I've watched TNG and Voyager and some of TOS and some of the animated yeah. And some of it, I'm, I'm trying to make headway with Enterprise. <laughs> it's, it's very slow going. I'm, I'm getting there. Um, right. And so now coming back to Discovery, it's great to see all of the references and all of the um, like the history and the canon behind it. It's, it's been it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind. Oh yeah, because you'd have um, presumably you've seen season three of Discovery because that's been on for a while. Um, so you, when you saw Unification Part Three, you wouldn't have seen I'm guessing parts one and two from TNG yet. <laughs> yeah, I'd actually, I think by the end of season two, I'd already finished watching um, a lot of the classic Trek. So oh, I was cool. mostly up to date by then and already rewatching the first Discovery seasons. Um, oh. So uh, 2020 with quarantine, like I had nothing to do. So I literally just binge watched um, Star Trek like mad. Good use of your time, if you ask me. I fully endorse that. But uh, yeah, that's great. Oh, I, I, I really, I genuinely love to hear that you're a fan who came on board with one of the newer shows because you know there's a lot of kind of negativity and hate around it. And I always say, you know, whether you've been watching since the original series in the 60s or you just picked up to watch the first series of, you know, Lower Decks, Picard, Discovery, whatever, you're still a Star Trek fan. You're still a Trekkie. If you want to go back and discover more, you can. And when I hear people that have, it's, it warms my little heart to think that there's uh, people getting, I guess, indoctrinated, for want of a better word, into uh, the lore of Star Trek. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I mean, I, I wouldn't have even, um, I didn't even know there was any negativity around Discovery when I was watching it because I wasn't on Trek Twitter at the time. Right. So for me, it was a very, I want to say, pure, wholesome experience. I was oh, just into it like a hundred percent into it like i know you and i have had like a back and forth on twitter about the damn turbo lifts for example and like <laughs> and i know that came up in a previous episode but like for me and i mean i do do this with movies and books in general but it felt very much true for discovery as well when i'm watching it my suspension of disbelief is at such an absurd level that they could legit do anything. And I would be like, oh, that's cool. Okay, yeah, that works. That works. <laughs> I could, yeah, I completely understand. We've all got shows like that. I totally understand what you're saying. And uh, yeah, and I know I've had these kinds of discussions about nitpicking things, but that's just part and parcel, I think, of being a geeky fan of these things. We wouldn't do it. For, with me, at least, it always comes from a place of kind of love and sort of, um, you could, you, I'm, I'm allowed to nitpick because I love it. But, but if anybody else does it and they're like, this is fine, it sucks. I'm like, no, yeah. I will defend my baby. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, I understand that. And also, you've got, you're coming at it from with a lot more history than I am. I'm, I definitely... Yeah after watching TNG and Voyager in particular, like I love those shows now as well, very much. Oops. Discovery will always be my favorite, um, yeah. partly because it was my first encounter with Star Trek, but I'm a big, big TNG and Voyager fan as well. And DS9, um, of course, yeah. but I, I've got I've to say TNG and Voyager are my, in fact, my next two favorites. 
those are still my two favourites as well. But again, I, I I got hooked into Discovery, I think, with the second season is what really won me over. The first season I was a little hit or miss, but I did still kind of enjoy it. But it was very different and it was jarring for me because it was like, ooh, it's not tonally super Star Trek-like. But I do remember mm-hmm. by the time we reached the end of that first season and it became clear that that was the point. I was like, oh, now I get it. It's literally about them overthrowing the kind of bad captain, spoiler alert, and uh, becoming more like the Starfleet crew. And then season two of Discovery, I probably said, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but I know I've said on Twitter a few times, it's in my top five seasons of any Star Trek because I just love the way that it's structured. I love that it's kind of a mystery that has a really cool beginning, middle, and end that then sets up an entirely new kind of chapter for Discovery. And uh, I'm a sucker for any reference to the original series. So when you introduce really cool new interpretations of like Captain Pike and Spock and stuff. I was always going to be on board. So yeah. Wow, that's um, great. Awesome. Uh, so from what you've watched then, again, this is probably going to put you a little on the spot. So apologies, but you, you'll know what's coming if you heard the episode with Linda. From what you've watched, if you had to pick, let's say three episodes from all of Star Trek that you would recommend to somebody to watch for the first time who's maybe never seen anything, what would you say epitomizes the best of what you've seen? Oh, I knew this was coming. I knew the answer. <laughs> such a cruel question. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, um, okay, so I, I was trying to think of what I would say to this, and I actually haven't been able to narrow it down. Um, Tough, yeah. I think, like, two of my favorite Discovery episodes are also two of my favorite Star Trek episodes, and, and they would be um, an oval for, Sha- for Charon. Ch- Sharon? 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 Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love, love, love that, you know, when, uh, you know, Stamets gets infected with psilocybin and Saru's whole, um, you know, death narrative. I think it's really, really beautiful and really moving. Um, and also there's a lot of comedy in that episode. And I, I love any Star Trek episode with comedy in it. Absolutely gets me every time. Like those, are, I always love those. Nice. Um, and then one of my second favorites is Forget Me Not. Um, where Adira and Burnham go to the um, the caves of Makala on the Troll homeworld. Oh, oh yes. like I think I've seen that four times and I've cried every single time. <laughs> I don't know if I would necessarily show that to someone who's like coming into Star Trek fresh because at that point, you know, we had a bit of the history of the characters already, um, mm. which which added to the impact. Yeah. Uh, but, but those are probably two of my favorite Discovery episodes. And then... Um, I didn't actually have to think too long for TNG because um, the very first thing that came to mind was Measure of a Man. Oh, um, yes. It's kind of an iconic Picard giving a you know speech about ethics in a like courtroom vibe. It's it's just it's so cool. Um, it's like peak Picard for me, uh, and I and I I really really love that. Uh, and then I just, I mean, oh, the, the list just goes on and on. So it's, I mean, I was thinking Bride of Chaotica. Yes. <laughs> Again, see the comedy episodes. I love them. Love, love, love them. Um, but also Blink of an Eye for Voyager. I really enjoy. Okay. Um, cool. Meridian for DS9. Uh, very cool. Exact episode. I love that one. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Wow, that's, yeah, very varied interests then. I, I love it. I love hearing, uh, I'm surprised that The Measure of a Man hasn't come up yet, actually, because it is probably one of the top ones of Star Trek in general that would end up on most people's kind of top 10 or 20 lists. But uh, I absolutely mm, love that episode, yeah. Picard and Guinan speechifying about kind of that it's, it, it sets a precedent that will ultimately lead to either slavery or freedom for androids and kind of the importance yeah. of that. Oh. Brilliant. Such good writing. Oh, so clever. Just such, yeah, such clever dialogue. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Um, I will move us on to section number two now. Uh, and section two is the hit or miss section. Uh, as I say, basically, we've not discussed what it's going to be, so it'll be a bit of a surprise. Uh, I'll just throw out something and see if you think it's a hit or a miss. Brief explanation as to why. Uh, I'll give my opinion as well, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Uh, we'll probably we'll see how we go. We might do about seven or eight, because it's only like 45, 50-minute episode we're reviewing, but uh, we'll see how we do for time. Uh, so, yeah, are you ready to get going with that? Then? <laughs> cool, let's do it. I was born ready. Uh, just looking at this, because I've, I've had it written down for ages and prepared, and um, I, they're completely random. And just looking at this with, without even trying, the first two are from Discovery, so they'll be easy for you. <laughs> so uh, okay. the very first thing on the list is hit or miss Sylvia Tilly. <laughs> oh, I love Tilly. Uh, she's a, a like easy hit for me. Um, I, I see so much of myself in Tilly. Okay, oh. you, know, you know what? If you had actually picked... There's several characters you could have picked who I probably would have said that about, so maybe that's not entirely fair. But um, I, Tilly really represents that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, over-eager, chatty, wants-to-be-friends with everyone part of me. Uh, and I was very much, uh, you know, the ratio has shifted as I've gotten older, but when I was in high school, I was 100% that person. You know, I was, you know, front of the class with my hand up all the time and, um, it, yeah, I, I love how smart she is and how enthusiastic she is about everything. So I she's an absolute hit for me. Awesome. Uh, well, that's going to be quite a, a lack of any conflict because I completely agree. I think massive hit. Um, she was the, the first character that I latched onto in Discovery um, because I think the sort of obviously the lead sort of Burnham and Giorgio and stuff were the key characters. But I always find it harder to latch onto people in authority and uh, that are sort of presented as this perfect sort of a beacon, I guess, like captains and things often are. So with Tilly, I was like, that's exactly what I would be like. If if I'd like to pretend I would be Captain Picard if I was in Starfleet, but to be perfectly honest, I would be Tilly. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I would be so sort of nervous and a little bit shy and a bit awkward, but ultimately, like, I'm going to be a captain someday. I'm going to make it. So I absolutely, absolutely. love that. Um, and again. also, um, in, huh? in, a, in the, was at the end of... Oh, I'm trying to remember um, where where she's temporarily put in command and she loses the ship. <laughs> um, I actually really loved that because uh, that 100% would have been me. I <laughs> I, yeah, actually, me I actually was given a management role when I was way too young for it and I botched it completely. And I was like, mm, okay, yeah, I'm I'm into this. I actually yeah. <laughs> I'm really I'm really identifying with this. You, you got it, Tilly. You, you'll get there eventually. Yeah, exactly. But I just love, I think Mary Wiseman's a great actress and she's still sort of charming and lovable, I think, anyway. Um, so, agreed, yeah, agreed. absolutely think great. And nothing better than when she's trying to imitate uh, Captain Killy in the Mirror Universe. <laughs> that sort of <laughs> the brief bit of comedy of like not knowing whether to. What, what the hell? Hell, hell, hell heck? <laughs> 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 Uh, yes, I love it. So yeah, um, so number two on the list for today, again from Discovery, hit or miss Admiral Vance from season three. Ah, uh, I, I, I really like Admiral Vance. Um, uh, or, or Vance, Vance, Vance. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the actor's name. Uh, I, Fair, I think is the actor. Fair. I uh, am a huge fan of him from The Mummy. 
cool. <laughs> so much so that like when I was like little, I'm I was born in 1987, so I think I was like early teens when the mummy came out. I would like take my mom's eyeliner and like try to draw the symbols on my cheeks that he had in the mummy and like like pretend that I was I was part of the part of the crowd, part of the group. Um, so to see him pop up again, I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it's him. Um, so that, that was, it was so wonderful seeing him. And especially the first few times you see him, I couldn't just, I couldn't figure out if he was going to be a bad guy or a good guy, like yes. which side was he on? He was being so resistant. And uh, that was really interesting as well, because I couldn't figure out which way it was going to go. And I was like, I want to like him, but he's not giving me anything. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, when you eventually find out more about the situation in the new time, you, you realize, okay, he's got every reason to be defensive um, and protective of, you know, the, the new setup. So um, I, I, he's, he's a hit for me. I actually wish we could see more of him. Uh, yeah, I hope you do. Um, again, not a lot of conflict because I agree completely, complete hit. Uh, I'm also a big fan of uh, Oded Fair from The Mummy and from the Resident Evil movies, which are not great movies, but at least he's good in them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm completely with you. I was kind of, I, I wouldn't perhaps be as on board with it if it did turn out that he was the kind of stereotypical, what they call bad moral, the bad admiral kind of thing that becomes a trope in Star Trek. And I was like, oh. I think I know where this is going, and if it does, it's going to be kind of a sucky cliche that he turns bad. And then, as you say, it's not. It's just it's it's a good study in kind of being complicated and being having to put up with a heck of a lot and being defensive for perfectly justified reasons. Um, mm. And so I was I was kind of the same as you, resistant because I was like, I'm not going to get to like this guy because I know he'll turn bad and I'll regret it. And then uh, was com- completely sold the moment he did the speech to uh, Osira about kind of the replicators and how uh, it's it's basically our recycled shit but we don't we don't mind it tastes fine and we we don't commit atrocities for it kind of thing i was yeah. like oh yes i'm on board with this guy now <laughs> yeah absolutely um so yeah i really hope we do get to see some more of him in season four i'm assuming we will because i'm guessing he'll be the one sending discovery on missions and stuff and uh yeah awesome uh so number three for today, moving away from Discovery for a second, uh, is a movie. Uh, I think it's the first one we put up on the hit or miss section. And it is the movie, if you've seen it, Star Trek Insurrection, hit or miss. Oh, um, which, that's, um, that's, from the, that's the Abrams trilogy, right? Um, no, um, Insurrection is the third of the next generation movies. It's basically where they... Oh. Picard and through ah uh, oh, fair enough. <laughs> I've, I've only I've only seen the Abrams trilogy. I still need to um, watch the older ones, and I actually I only saw the um, the Abrams trilogy um, like a few years ago for the first time. So yeah, it's the, the movies I'm I'm very fuzzy on. That's fair enough. Well, apologies for that. And sorry, um, I'll I'll just give my opinion quickly and say that I really like um, Insurrection. It's it's been said before that it's basically a long kind of two part episode of the Next Generation, but I don't see that as a criticism because Next Generation's good. So <laughs> it's uh, it's really cool. I, I highly recommend it. It's got a good kind of plot about the morality of um, Starfleet trying to kind of relocate these species because their planet has fountain of youth qualities, and then Picard and the Enterprise crew basically standing the ground against Starfleet as kind of no you know we can't do this it's wrong and uh yeah highly recommend that film i think Ooh, um, i love the sound of that that's that's a great recommendation absolutely yeah it's uh as i say it's not quite it's n- never anybody's favorite because it's not as action-packed as like first contact or even nemesis um well it is but i guess it's it's because it's got more of a moral message that i think sometimes people glaze over a little bit if they feel lectured to 
but I'm always on board with that, so I'm fine with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's definitely the funniest of the four Next Generation films as well. I won't ruin or spoil any of the jokes for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it's got some great bits of humour in it as well. So I'm yeah. sure, you know, I get the move, I get confused about whether I've seen some of the movies or not a lot because people talk about them so much on Twitter um, and there's so many memes and jokes and quotes that are always circulating that it's all kind of just like a mishmash in my head about yeah. what's from what. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I'll move us on then to the next one on today's list. Uh, again, you may not have seen it, so apologies, uh, but just I thought I'd chuck this in related to the episode we're reviewing. Uh, so hit or miss to the original series episode, Muds Women. Oh, I have seen most of the Muds episodes, I think. Okay, um, cool. I've seen Muds Women. Uh, that's the one with the, there's these three women who um, are like on the, some sort of drug that makes them appear youthful and beautiful. Um, right. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed that. It was the, all of the TOS episodes are strange watching um, yeah. because they're from a, I mean, a different time. It's, it's oh, very, very dated. It's, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> the cinematography is strange. The pacing is very odd. The, 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 the music is, is strange. Um, but I kind of like the, the message that it sent at the end where um, the, the blonde woman thought that she had taken that youthful drug nice. and she was, you know, projecting this confidence that everyone saw her as more beautiful. But it actually she actually hadn't taken it or taken a placebo and it was all just in her head. I thought that was quite sweet, actually. Yes, that's actually a good. Yeah, that's that's a good uh, something I hadn't really thought. But yeah, I suppose it ends really well in that regard, because um, I'm going to say a hit, but just. Um, because there's a lot of problematic parts of the episode that I don't love uh, with, with regards to the kind of the sexism on display and stuff, which is a bit mm -hmm. kind of obvious. And uh, particularly, I think the one scene that really jars with me is that like, um, oh, I, I may not look great, but I can be a good wife and cook for you and everything. And uh, it's, it's very sort of, I know it's the 1960s, but even still, that's kind of like, oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but having said that, um, I think Roger C. Carmel as Harry Mudd, I just fell in love with immediately as a kid. Because um, as I mentioned in a, the previous couple of episodes, I was around kind of 10, 11 years old when I would be watching the original series with my mum. And that character is such a broad comedy kind of uh, like a stereotype, for want of a better word, that as soon as he comes on board, I was like, I like this guy because this... He's playing it to the absolute rafters, and I love that because <laughs> I, I, I'm at an age where I'm not looking for subtlety. I'm looking for something to, to charm me, I guess. Um, yeah, a little bit more goofy. I actually um, always liked Harry Mudd's character because I enjoy lower-stakes villains mm. um, where the tension isn't quite, you know, are they going to get out alive? You know, you know that they're going to come out on top at the end of the day and that Mudd will lose in some yeah. way. Um, and I, I, I kind of I kind of enjoy it more. It's it's a bit more relaxing to watch the episode and just yeah. be like, oh, okay, like this is just, I can just go with it and lean into it rather than being super stressed the whole time. And Harry Mudd always ticks those box for me. Absolutely. It, it's, I think it's the tone of the episodes that do it because when you actually think about what he does, like people trafficking and then, you know, trying to rule the world with androids, it's it's quite <laughs> severe type stuff, but because- It's dark, no, yeah. it's dark. Exactly, but because the episode plays it tonally as just like, this guy's just a nuisance. I, I like that episode for what it is, but I can recognise with uh, 
with sort of newer eyes some of the problems inherent in the uh, the sexism and perhaps a little bit of the overacting. But like I said, I was so young when I watched that that I didn't really care <laughs> at that point. So, uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the next thing on my list for today is another thing from Discovery, completely by coincidence, uh, and it's the Discovery reinvention of the USS Enterprise, hit or miss. Oh, um, so this is a tough one for me to answer because I think it's at the end, it's the la last episode of season one, right, where the Enterprise shows up. For the first um, time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like right, like, and then the credits roll. Um, <laughs> and um, when I first watched it, I didn't get what was oh. happening. I was just like, oh, it's another ship, right? Another right. ship arrived. Cool. And then the credit had the, I think the TOS, the original soundtrack played the, the credits. The theme, and I was yeah. like, so a new ship's arrived and the music's different. So to me, I was like, okay, this is clearly a nod to something that's come before that I haven't seen. But it, I, I didn't know more than that. Um, I could tell that there was a reference, but I, I wasn't able to, you know, attach more of it to, to, the, um, to it than that. Uh, so then going back to watch TNG and then coming back, it's kind of made it a bit of a non thing for me because I haven't been able to get fully attached to either one. I, um, I really like the original um uh enterprise very very much i think partly because i've just seen it more now you know just yeah. in terms of when, how often it's on the screen i've yes. just seen it a lot yeah. um so i'm yeah i'll probably go with the with the with the classic with the classic one just because it's clearer in my memory i guess so would you say that um the the reinvention is a, is a miss as it's too far away from the classic or you think it's it's a hit because you you like it anyway um I like it anyway. I think it's fine. I, but then I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not super attached to either one. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm actually keen to hear what you say to this one. Uh, I, I love it. Um, I think it's a hit, personally, um, which isn't to say that I don't like the original. My attachment to the original Enterprise is such that um, I spent a year and a half waiting for Eagle Moss to get the actual original series model Enterprise in stock because it sold out immediately and then when I got the email to say it was there, I just immediately ordered it and was very emotional when it came. And I was like, it's the Enterprise no, from my childhood. <laughs> but um, it's only the little small kind of 15 quid version. It's not, I don't have the XL one or anything, but I, I just love it so much. And um, I think they're on very tricky ground to reinvent something that iconic because Enterprise had already done the Constitution class ship where they just literally had exactly the model from the original series. And it kind of yeah. worked. And it wasn't that long ago, so um, reinventing it was always... And to be perfectly honest, I'm not super fond of the one from the J.J. Abrams movies. I think that changes things mm -hmm. a bit too much. Um, which is not to say that I hate it, I just don't think it looks enterprisey enough, if that makes sense. Um, I'll, but... I'll agree with that. I, I mean, definitely. Uh, so I, I have seen the Abrams movies. I probably remember the first one, the, the clearest. And yeah. um, I did like very much, especially the look of the bridge, but going back to see the classics, you're like, that's not the same ship. Like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. Totally different. Like, I like it, but it's not the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I, I mean, I love all the Enterprises. I love the refit from the original movies. But I think uh, I've got to give props where it's due to whoever it was that did the Discovery redesign because they've got, for me, the perfect balance of updating it and fitting it into that world whilst remaining completely respectful to the actual original model. Um so it's it's and I just think for whatever reason I just think it's gorgeous. I was attached to it, and again that's another model that I ordered as soon as I could afford it because that was only available for like thirty quid I think in a rather large size, and uh, 
I'm staring at it right now because it's in my living oh. room <laughs> on a little right. display, and uh, it's lovely. It's it gets the entire top of um and a bookshelf where I have DVDs to itself because I love it so much. But so yeah, it's a hit for me, and I think I could probably say you, you're going to say hit for you. But if you had to choose, going to your head between the two, you'd probably go with the original. Yeah, I think so. I mean, to, to be honest, I don't think there is a single ship I don't like. Um, I, yeah. you know, I see Starship and I go Starship. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> I'm the same when it comes to when it comes to you Federation know, starships. Yeah, absolutely. Give me a Starship any day of the week. I don't care. <laughs> like refit original, you mm. know, do whatever you want with that thing. Separate in the cells. I'm there for it. I'm I'm, I'm ready to go. Next thing on my list, I'm not sure if you'll be super familiar with, but again, I'll just uh, fire it at you and see how we do. Uh, and it's the character of Ezri Dax. Hit or miss. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, um, I, I've got to be careful now because this is probably the first thing I'm going to say miss to. And I don't want to, I don't want to, like, <laughs> accidentally offend or um, anyone's preferences. Uh, I really, I like Jadzia, but I also was kind of, you know, meh about Jadzia. I did like her, but she was like a 6 out of 10 character for me compared to all the others. Right. So, um uh, and Esri just, I mean, maybe it's because she didn't have as much screen time and she didn't have as much of a chance to really get, you know, embedded, you know, with me. Um, she came across as a little bit mousy to me, a little bit insipid. I just, I didn't really attach to her too much. Mm. Um, I did like a lot of scenes with her in it, like, um, uh, when Wolf was trying to apologize to her about how he was being, and she was like, "Like, good, you, you better, you should apologize." Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 she definitely grew on me. I, it's not that I disliked her. Um, I just, yeah, I, mm, she just didn't do anything for me. That character, I'm, I'm not sure. Enough. I would rather they just kept Jadzia on. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, we, without getting into the behind-the-scenes reasons why, I mean, it should obviously have still been Jadzia that finished off the show. So. That goes without saying, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. And I know what you're saying, with, with one season, with any character, it's kind of hard to get attached, especially if they're not really... And she had the burden of being, in some ways, half the same character that we'd just lost. So I think they tried yeah, to... She, she, had a tough, she had a tough role. Um, she definitely had a, a difficult job to do. Yeah, I can see where you might say that they overdid making her too different to Jadzia, and because she was so uber confident kick-ass they kind of went the opposite way with Ezri and so yeah that there is a little bit of kind of mousy I'm still tough but I'm not going to necessarily be as brazen kind of thing so um, um I feel like they made their, their job harder in terms yeah. of endearing her to the audience they, they made it harder than it had to have been um I mean Star Trek also doesn't as you know historically play it safe so I'd rather that they shoot for the fences and see what yeah. happens um, absolutely uh, no, that's fair enough. If anybody criticizes you for your opinion, then they'll have me to deal with because I don't, I don't like that. And if you say miss, that's absolutely fair enough. But uh, yeah, I, I will slightly disagree and say that for me, she's a slight hit, but it's very slight. Um, but it's mainly because I think I, I really like Nicole DeBoer, who plays her. Um, I think she's a really good actress and I think she has just enough charm uh, to give her some something. Um, but it's mm. again, it's rare. It's only in the odd couple of episodes. I'm thinking particularly of, um, and I can't remember the title of it now. Prodigal Daughter. That was the title where she returns home to her family for the first time since joining, and 
discovers the kind of problems they've got and stuff. Uh, I really mm -hmm. like that episode because it sort of shows who she is without being attached to all this baggage of Jadzia. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I I love I enjoy anything to do with the troll. Um, you know, the difficulties that they deal go through once they've joined. You know, yes. once the having to deal with um all these memories and you know personalities and you know past relationships and I I I, I enjoy all of that. Um, so I mean, I I kind of wish we had more seasons with her so that we could yeah. have gotten closer. Uh, so we're staying on DS9 for the next thing, uh, and it's hit or miss to the USS Defiant. Oh, I know there's a lot of uh, Defiant fans I've spoken to on Twitter before when we've ranked ships. Okay. Um, definitely a hit on the Defiant. I mean, it's a ship that flies through space. Ergo, it's a hit. Um, <laughs> of course. So there's, there's no... <laughs> it's not, you know, if, if we're ranking, it's it's not... One of my, you know, top five, I wouldn't yeah. say, but I mean, but I, I, yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, it's great. It's 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 powerful. It's um, it, it you know, it gets into trouble. It causes trouble. Um, yeah, I'm into it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Again, complete agreement. I'm the same as you. Um, I, I whenever I see it, I love it, but it's not one that kind of lives in my memory the way that some of the more iconic ones do. If I was listing favorites, but. Again, as soon as I remember it or see a picture of it, I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's it, it's completely contrary to Star Trek to think, wow, look at that cool warship. It's so well-armed and stuff, but we all do it. <laughs> so it's like, yes, <laughs> kick-ass warship will uh, will win the day. <laughs> but, uh, yes, yeah, I'll I mean, take that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, I'll move us on then to the next section, which will be the uh, the review, and we'll begin analysis, the main section of the review, uh, as I've made uh, made clear, the episode we're reviewing today is from Discovery, uh, and it's magic to make things going man go mad. Uh, probably suffice to say, it's from your favorite series, then Kelly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, hundred percent. Awesome. Uh, do you have any brief thoughts, just kind of spoiler free, on the episode before we get uh, deeper into it? Oh, I I really enjoy this episode, but I'm also a sucker for anything that messes around with time. You know, it's got kind of a um, you know. Edge of Tomorrow, Emily Blunt, Tom Cruise vibe. Um, <laughs> Fair you know, it's got time crystals. It's got tardigrade DNA. It's got uh, space whales. I mean, what's not to like about this episode? <laughs> Absolutely. And the space whale does give you my favorite line in the entire episode, which I just, I, I, it's something that I've completely missed on the first couple of viewings. And on a rewatch, I burst out laughing because I don't remember how I missed it. But it's when they go into the... Um, it's like the second or third time round they go into where the space whale is and there's like a security or an engineering chap there and uh, they draw their weapon and he just goes, phases? You expecting this whale to be armed? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Ash Tyler's got his hand on his phaser and because yeah. they're expecting him to go down. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I was just, I can't believe I missed that. It must have been so quick the first couple of times I saw it. But yeah, I burst out <laughs> laughing this time around. <laughs> but, I love yeah. it when, um, uh, when uh, Lorca says to Saru, um, I can't remember the full line, but he, he says something like, uh, you know, beam the fish aboard. And Saru's like, actually, it's not a fish. And Walker just looks at him like, I really Technically, it's not a fish. And he just stares. <laughs> it's a fish to me. It's fine. <laughs> Space fish. Yeah. Jason Isaacs is really good with the little he has to do, because I also love it when uh, they, they're aware of what's happening. And uh, Burnham's like, I think a science specialist, I should go and see to it. And he's like, I don't give a damn. Just do it. And then Ash Tyler's <laughs> like, and, and maybe I should accompany her. I still don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that because that's the kind of boss I would be now. I feel <laughs> like yeah, I don't I don't need to know the details. Just tell me what yeah. you need to know. <laughs> Get it over with. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um well, I've got a few sort of chronological notes. I don't know if you've uh, probably you've probably got your own things you can chime in on and, and add as we go. Um but I'll just go through it. I think probably by uh by order. Um just quickly before we do that, though, I should have said, you mentioned that you think it's very similar to uh, Edge of Tomorrow, that kind of storyline. Um, mm. I have to mention up top that, yeah, um, it also very much reminds me of the Next Generation episode, Cause and Effect. Uh, it was the mm. first thing I thought when I first saw this, and yes, there's a lot of it. I can completely see that, but I think it's different enough that it's definitely not a ripoff. Um, but as soon as you get the first kind of the ships destroyed and then everything just resets and it's back to where it was, Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, part of the reason I think a lot of people like this episode is that they say that it's relatively standalone, particularly in Discovery Season 1, which is all one big Klingon war arc. Um, but having said that, it still begins with like a previously on Discovery montage, because there's still quite a bit that I think you have to know going into it. Because um, you need to know the kind of backstory of what Discovery is, the spore drive, the fact that Lorca and Tyler have met Harry Mudd uh, in jail and everything. Um, do you think it would be a great episode to kind of start someone with who hadn't seen it, or do you think they'd have to start at the beginning of Discovery to get it, so to speak? That's a good question. I actually think it's a good. It would be a good uh, place for a new timer to to start. Um, you get a lot of information about Burnham in this episode. Mm. Um, you know, you get to see a little bit of her struggles, a bit of her developments, um, and it's all it all happens in quite a compact space. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's actually a great episodic one. Yeah, I agree. I think even though it relies on some other stuff, I don't think you'd be left behind if it was the first one you saw. And I think it's good because with Burnham being the central character, it literally opens by showing you it's going to be through her eyes because that's the kind of first shot the director does is of her eye waking up and seeing the world. And we kind of hear her give the exposition via log entry and mentioning that she's made a friend in Tilly uh, and her relationships with kind of Stamets and Tyler. And the fact that she feels, I think she puts it, she feels like she's a part of the crew, but she's among them, but still apart. Uh, so you get that she feels that bit of distance, which I think is quite relatable as well. Um, mm, definitely. And again, the, the great writing in the kind of semi-humorous line of when she ends the log with, tonight I face my greatest challenge, tonight I'm going to a party. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've definitely all been there, haven't we? Really? <laughs> and then yeah. you get to see that Tilly is the absolute life of the party. Oh, I uh, love that, yeah. I was so, so stoked to see that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm the same. And I actually made a note and said that Mary Wiseman's drunk acting is really, really good. She completely <laughs> would be over her lines about, um, oh, I used to have a thing for soldiers, but I'm going through a musician phase. And then Tyler gives his big speech and she's like, oh, the soldier thing's back. <laughs> yeah, my soldier thing is back. <laughs> <laughs> Which I loved. Um, but yeah, talking about that, I think it's, it's, it should really go without saying, but I think it's worth mentioning that it's really cool that we see like a wheelchair user among the ship's crew in the party and everything. Uh, mm. it's both a, a kind of a nice bit of diversity, but also a reference to the cost of war because we're sort of knee deep in the Klingon war at this point and we haven't really seen, I don't think, the, the human cost on that level. Um, so it's nice to be reminded, I think, of that from time to time, um, that they're not Definitely. kind of glorifying it. So absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's nice to be reminded that like they're at a party, but it's still in the middle of a very serious war. So it's it's nice that they they're not being too frivolous. They're they're you know Ash Tyler's speech is very uplifting and upbeat, but still remembering the people who've been affected and 
yeah, I think they balance that really well. I agree completely. Um, and I have to say, embarrassingly, didn't notice until this watch around as well the song that was playing at the party, um, which is incredibly appropriate. Um, it's a song, and I forget who it's by because it's a remix, but it basically samples Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Which oh, no. I didn't register the joke until this time I watched around and I was like, oh, because every time it resets when they've been destroyed, that's what's playing. Uh. <laughs> so they're literally staying alive. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. That's yeah. I did the first few times and then I was like, that music's definitely not a coincidence. I get it now. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of Burnham, though, I do like that um, they actually go to lengths to explain the reason for her discomfort and to make it that she's not just unlikable or kind of standoffish. She mentions that it's because she's she was raised on Vulcan. And even when Ash says, well, you were on the Shenzhou for years, she says, well, yeah, but I was a kind of commander. The rank itself has a level of discomfort to people as well. So mm -hmm. it, it, it explains, I think, a lot of her backstory in just a couple of lines, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Burnham's actually really good in this episode, to be honest. Uh, but I'll get to, I think, a bit more of those later on as well. But uh, anyway, so then we get our first appearance of the, the Gormaganda. And I just think it's very, again, it's a simple little thing, but I think it's very Starfleet that they have this protocol that they can't just leave it. They kind of have to, because it's an endangered species, they have to rescue it and take it somewhere to be safe and stuff. Um, and again, <laughs> with the eyes of the kind of knowing how the, season pans out it's perhaps a bit telling that Lorca doesn't really care and the rest of the crew are like no we can't just leave it <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah and I, I love when um the very first time they beam it aboard uh well what we think is the first time at the time oh, yeah. oh, I'm using the word time too much um it's just the nature of this episode I guess it is yeah. uh, Burnham approaches the Gormaganda and she says all right sweet girl to the Gormaganda she calls yes. her sweet girl and it's just so tender. Uh, I really, really love that. Just the way she addressed this this poor, sick space whale. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, little moments like that, are, are, that they are what, you know, to speak to us, I think, aren't they, really? But uh, awesome. So the first time we see Mud um, coming out, he has the uh, the full-on, I think it's supposed to be an Andorian helmet. Uh, oh, my God. Is that what that is? Yeah. I was I'm, like, this is like a Skrillex, Dead Mouse, Dubstep vibe. <laughs> Like, I, I was, I, okay, that explains that. I was just like, he's about to drop some beats. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought it looked a lot like it just reminded me of the, the rabbit from Donnie Darko, which was all I could yeah. think of at the time. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I really liked the helmet. I just wasn't yeah. sure what they were going for. <laughs> no, I don't think it's super clear. But yeah, I watched it behind the scenes on the DVD set where they explain it's supposed to be, it's designed for an Andorian, hence the kind of antenna part of the homework, which makes sense when you know it, but they could have perhaps been a bit clearer. Still cool, though. <laughs> I mean, it had a very, it had a great impact on screen, you know, especially oh, since you don't know, you don't know that it's him, you know, at the beginning. Yes, at first, and then he just takes the helmet off and addresses uh, Loka on the view screen kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. The second time Mud uh, sort of boards the ship when he's trying to learn what's going on. Again, I missed this the first couple of times around, but I didn't realize he actually just beams himself straight to engineering. And I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty clever. Now that you know what you're looking for and where you're aiming, instead of kind of marching yeah, out of the... get right to it. Don't have <laughs> to have a gunfight first. Yeah. <laughs> but then um, when they kind of face off with him in engineering, it has my least favorite line of the episode, which I think... I don't, maybe it's just me, but I just find it really Wait, cheesy. Can I, can I guess what you're going to say? Yes. <laughs> Is it... Uh, you're mad. No, I'm mud. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I did not like that line either. I no, rolled my eyes so hard. <laughs> oh, I'm and glad just, you said that. <laughs> just to just a reminder, I'm a massive Discovery fan. <laughs> Like, I'm normally 100% on board with whatever bullshit they put on the screen. And this was one of the few times, like, literally a handful of times, I was like, no, guys, you can do better than that. That was weak. <laughs> Absolutely agree. I just I just literally wrote the one word, groan, on my notes. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oof. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was well delivered. Like, Randy oh, yeah. can deliver a line. But, yeah. I mean, give him some actual decent lines to deliver then, man. It's like... He's really well. I mean, it's only one line, but at the same time, we'd be kind of biased not to call out when, like, yeah, maybe you could have cut that one. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, that could have been edited out. Absolutely. Uh, but again, despite the fact this was, like, at least the third time that I've seen this, I still got a shock when Stamets comes in and shoots mode in that particular time around when he's uh, sort of in engineering, but he's got the force field that's keeping Tyler and Burnham out. Um, yeah, I, I also, I must admit, I, you know, I was also watching it the third time. And I, I, again, it came out of nowhere to me as well. I totally forgot that that was, you know, part of the part of the story. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, weird episode for Stamets because he is like so high on tardigrade DNA. First, yeah. Even before the time loop um, stuff starts, he's just like, hey, guys, like, yeah. oh, what's going on? Oh, what's happening between Burnham and Tyler? Like, yeah. he's just being extra weird i don't love that first interaction because it's so different and it's kind of like don't apologize for just random interactions that what makes life beautiful and i was like oh but the fact that that it's only that kind of first time and then he's not just the voice of reason but he becomes super proactive and he's the one that's like it's the same 30 minutes i've worked it out I've, i'm you know clicking onto what's happening and where we can go and what's best to do and uh, I tried approaching Tyler, but he wouldn't believe me. So now I have to get you to approach him for me. And mm. I was like, oh, I actually really like this because it's showing that Stamets, who's been kind of portrayed as a little bit kind of unlikable and there's not a lot to him, in this episode gets a chance to show that, no, he is actually intelligent. He's resourceful. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, that's why he's earned his place as, like, he's not chief engineer, but, you know, chief of the spore drive, I guess, uh, operations. You can see why he would be in that position of power for perhaps yeah. the first time. Um so, yeah, and I think um, it's it's a little bit later on, but I may as well get to it now. My favourite scene in the episode and possibly one of my favourite scenes in the first series uh, is when Stamets uh, asks Burnham to dance with him and explains the kind of the nature of love, I guess, to her. Um, and I just remember being so touched and my, my heart just feeling so uh, warmed by when Stamets mentions about his first uh, interaction with Dr. Culver and how when they met, he was he thought he was obnoxious, he was playing opera too loud or something um <laughs> but the connection was undeniable and you know ever since they've been you know inseparable and very much in love and i just think anthony rapp sells that so well in his dialogue uh and the two him and sonequa martin green play off each other in that particular scene so well with her being like she's clearly wrestling with her love for tyler uh but doesn't really know what to do or how to admit it um and that's why I think it's yeah. it's it's really clever that dialogue wise when uh what is it when she asks when Stamets asks her for something to prove that you know what's a secret nobody else would know so I can prove what I'm saying is true the secret that he has to blurt out in front of everyone is you've never been in love uh, which I was like oh. yeah. I thought the, the way he delivered that was hilarious because it was like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I didn't read it as that at all. I was just feeling for 
Yeah, it's not like, hey, I have this secret to tell you that you told me. He just starts it out like, oh, you've never been in love. Like, just, I'm like, dude, like, ease into it. Yeah, it's the, the fact that it's basically in front of everyone at the party, sort of shouted loud with a little bit subtlety, Samus, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then again, it's like, um, it's it's really sad, but the more you think about it, yeah, growing up on Vulcan and being in a position of power, of course, she wouldn't necessarily have had any relationship or felt that kind of romantic sort of thing. So, it goes a long way to explaining why she's perhaps so bonded with Tyler for this first season, especially when we learn later on more and more about him and why it's we have to kind of believe that she would still feel for him after learning some pretty horrific truths, you know. I made a quick note here that um, I like that Mud quickly discovers Lorca's secret room and refers to it as, ma- as his man cave. <laughs> 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 which is great. Uh, we've seen, I think, glimpses of it before now in the season, and we can see that it's got like special weapons and a golden skeleton and bits and pieces. Yeah, um, there's some, yeah, there's some really cool stuff in there. There is, but it also enhances that mystery because at this point we didn't know, of course, who or who uh, Loka was or what he was doing. And mm. I do love that it plays into that a lot by having him by having Mode basically reveal. I found, you know, these incredibly dangerous dark matter weapons in your secret room kind of thing yeah i actually missed that the first time around um and the second time around i was like oh shit those are lockers like i just assumed it was muds um but yeah that was oh like damn dude like why would you have those yeah exactly but i think that's the thing even though this is standalone there's little bits like that that do progress the narrative a little bit if you're paying attention Uh, if you've been watching since the sort of start of the series and I was very mm. invested in learning what the deal was with Loka. And the next uh, scene we get was a little bit, I was a little bit critical of because it's the montage of uh, Mud killing Loka multiple times, uh, which I was like, I get that it's played for kind of this is crazy and kooky. But for me, it just gets a little bit too dark, especially when you see him like flailing through space when he gets beamed oh, away. I was yes. like, that's oh. no. <laughs> yeah. He beamed him into space. Oh, man. I, I actually really like that montage because it was just like, <laughs> It, it really it really gets you through a lot of the time iterations like really fast you get to see you know he killed him he killed him he killed him he killed him yeah. um in all these different ways and it also shows that like mud is entering the rooms in different ways and he's yeah. moving around the ship at different times and in different ways and it's, he's he's experimenting with the encounters yeah. um but yeah i mean it's uh it's what you were saying earlier about mud's character that he does some really messed up stuff and yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a little comedic guy. That's the thing, yeah. That's why I think it jars for me is because they go to pains to show how kind of all the ways that he kills him look really painful and like slow kind of disruptive death. And like I said, beamed into space and then watching him flail for air or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is a little bit, we're playing it like it's funny, but it's, is it really? Um, but <laughs> is it, yeah. Is but it? at the same time, I agree with you that the direction, the fact that he... Mood basically stays where he is and then action around him happens. It's, I'm describing it really poorly, but like he kills Loka, then the door to the ready room opens, he steps out and he kills Loka again. And you realize, oh, this is another time around, but nothing's really changed because of the direction. So I love that part of it. It's just I could have done with Mood being a bit less psychopathic, maybe. <laughs> it's, I've already mentioned my favorite scene in the episode, but did you have any thoughts? Did you also love that scene when Stamets basically asks Burnham to dance and they talk about, you know, the first time they'd met, uh, that he met Culber and how feelings. Oh, I did were. love that. And how he was like, um, you know, love's not meant to be rational. It isn't rational. It's, 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 uh, it's something, it's something more than that. 
Um, mm. Yeah, I've, Matt's got like a lot of these kind of comedic one-liners that mm. are just kind of standalones. Uh, there's one thing he says where um, he says something like, "There are so many ways to blow up this ship. It's almost a design flaw." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Oh, oh that, yeah. yeah, that had me on the ground. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a line I registered, but yes, it's absolutely again, isn't it? It's and that's both a combination of good writing and I think the way Rain Wilson plays mode with just enough of the Roger C. Carmel like roguish charm, but with enough of his own little sort of subtle hint on it as well. Um, I think he's really good in this episode. Just mentioning that yeah. now, but yeah, um, no, he's I, great. He he does he does it so well. He does. He, 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 again, matches, manages that kind of line really, really well. <clears throat> me. But going back to the scene I was talking about, the kind of Burnham and uh, Stamets scene, I also love that he explains that, like, even though his first interaction with Culber was, I guess, kind of an argument, he says that, um, that he basically sums up the theme of, I think, the episode and a lot of the series when he basically ends it with never hide who you are. Uh, it's the mm. only way love works that way. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's a really kind of beautiful message that you could easily lose, I guess, in the middle of all this. But uh, I like it a lot. Yeah, I like I like that this episode weaves kind of emotional connections and relationships into the fact that they're still, you know, in a war zone. It mm. weaves them together really cleverly um, because, you know, even though it's such a tense and difficult time, you're all still people thrown mm. together. Um, and those connections are going to happen organically. Uh, and, you know, how you deal with them and how you juggle that with what's happening day to day. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that they um, they just embraced it and lead in, leaned into it and try to weave it all together rather than to completely ignore it. Yeah, completely. Because, I mean, we again, it's something you see a lot in sort of things that deal with war, even in the sci-fi context, is that we're still human at the end of it. We still live our humanity and we still feel and we still... Uh, have all this complex stuff going on even without having to worry about, you know, there might be a Klingon attack or whatever any minute. So <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, related to that, I think the next uh, the next scene along where Burnham and Tyler, she kind of has to approach Tyler officially and they dance at the party uh, and kiss for the first time. I've just said this scene is incredibly well directed because they're at a party and yet they feel like they're the only two people in the room, which must have been so difficult to pull off. Um mm. And yeah, I just think the chemistry in particular between Sonequa and uh, Shazad in that scene, uh, maybe it was just me, but I was like, I'm picking up some pretty hot chemistry vibes yeah. from this particular no, scene. I was into it. Yeah. And I think they're both super hot. So like, I yeah. was like, yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm so into this. And like when he spins her around, I was like, yes, mm, yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and then when she was like, I, you know, you were in a Klingon prison with Harry Mudd. And I was like, way to wreck the mood. Like, <laughs> yeah, she still doesn't quite get it. She's still that kind of logical, I've just got to get the facts out kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah. she she was doing the right thing. Like they were on a time limit. But, uh, you oh, know, familiar. at the moment you forget and you're just like, oh, they're dancing. This is great. Let's just go with this. It doesn't matter if the ship explodes. I'm happy right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I like the, the interpersonal side of things as well, because that's always a bit a big sort of Star Trek thing. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I, again, just in terms of things I didn't notice the first time around, it's completely throwaway and it doesn't matter, but they point out that um, Mode has a working time crystal because some four-dimensional race must have perfected the technology. <laughs> I, just, I love that it's so throwaway that we never learn who it is, see anything <laughs> about them. It's just like, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I didn't notice that, but I love it. That's, yeah. that's amazing. 
It's that's so the kind weird. of techno babble I signed up for. That's <laughs> <laughs> I think they even literally. I think Stamets delivers the line, and he even says something like, "Some some four dimensional race must have perfected it somehow." And I'm like, "That's all I need." Yeah, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Whatever. <laughs> I was fine with time crystal, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. You had me a time crystal. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's a really uh, horrible scene, I think, late, uh, slightly later on the next scene from that when they go to the bridge and um, I think it's Mood kills Ash and Filler and it's really harsh. Um, but then there's a very, very brief scene where Doug Jones absolutely breaks my heart as Saru when Burnham's like clearly affected by the death of Tyler and she's like going for Mood. And Saru just pleads with her, like, please, no more senseless violence. Please, I'm begging you. And I was like, wow, that's like his only line in the episode. And he's so good at it as well. Um, yeah. Oh, maybe that's yeah. just because I'm a Doug Jones stan. So I was like, nah, I'm, <laughs> I'm always no, going to stick it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime he's in a scene, I'm just like, you're the man. Like, he just he just kills us every single time. Yeah, I like that Stamets actually owns up to kind of, it's me because that's the very Starfleet-y thing to do, isn't it? To be a bit selfless and... Uh, yeah, so we, we don't really know what's going on, but I like that they're clever enough that they're working stuff out before the audience, and it's kind of that heist movie structure, I guess, where you know they're one step ahead, but it's really clever the way they work it out, and you're waiting to see how. Um, yeah, we're you're like, is this part of the plan, or is this? are we losing? Like, what's happening right now? Exactly, yeah, exactly right. But um, I do, I do uh, my slight criticism here is I do think there's a little bit too much kind of site-to-site transporting, but that's just me being a original series nitpick nerd where I'm like, really, they shouldn't have the ability to do this, but yeah, <laughs> who cares, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and then again, Burnham just completely stealing the episode with the whole sort of, yes, the Klingons would pay handsomely for Discovery in the spore drive, but they'd pay more for me because I'm the person that murdered yeah. Kuhnner. I um, love that interaction between her and Lo- um, uh, between her Mud. And Mud. That, yeah. that was so, so cool, where he's like, I checked the manifest, you're a nobody. Yeah. And she was like, no, bitch, I'm Michael Burnham. <laughs> <laughs> if only she just literally just said that as the line. Listen, bitch. <laughs> she, she just and says, listen, like, bitch, and then drops a rap. <laughs> I was like, this is good. This is, ooh, this is good stuff. Because I actually, it hadn't like, clicked to me that, you know, he didn't know who she was or didn't care or, or whatever. Of so course, as soon as it happened, yeah. I was like, ooh, this is, a, this is good. This is getting juicy. Yeah, and I think it's a combination of both her intelligence and her selflessness that she swallows the dark matter and kills herself, knowing that she he's then going to be forced to reset the time loop, even though he's effectively won this time around because he's got discovery. Yeah, and he said, like, there's 800-plus ways to die mm. at, in space, and that antimatter um, the pull, basically, is, like, one of the most painful. And yeah. she swallows this damn thing, and I was like, oh, man, you couldn't have just yeah. phasered yourself in the head or something? Oh, that's brutal. She doesn't even what hesitate though at all. She's just straight in there, like, nope, this is what I have to do. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that was oh, that was right. I love it. Um, I think it's I, I wrote the note here, but I think it was Linda who mentioned it that um Mood goes full cue at the end of the episode by saying things like adieu, mon capitan, and kind of uh, it's where it becomes the yeah. clear kind of analogue for Q in Discovery. And I, I didn't yeah, notice that's that. Either. Very Q. Yeah. <laughs> It was Linda who picked up on that when we were mentioning uh, something completely different in the hit or miss, and I didn't either the first couple of times. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess he is kind of," because Q would do this kind of thing, but then they would just be like, "It's his powers; he doesn't need the time crystal or whatever." Um, so I guess this is kind of he is the standard in this situation, but yeah, kind of Q-ish. Yeah, Q-ish. absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, we, we're getting to the end now, and I just love everything about this. I love that they say 
they've rejoined the time stream so nothing can change and there's a ship approaching but that mud thinks it's the klingons and we if we've seen the episode know that it's not and know who it is and again i'm a sucker for any reference back to the original series so i remember the first time watching this when i'd heard mud reference stellar a couple of times and knowingly because i'd seen have you seen the episode i mode out of curiosity i have i have um so yeah knowing that it's the wife that he kind of hates that snags him and everything but he's selling it as like oh my beloved stella i was like oh i know you're not sincere <laughs> but then when you find out that the ship that's approaching is stella and her father i was like oh this is brilliant <laughs> this is this is a fate worse than death for him and i absolutely love that you're calling back <laughs> to that original series episode um, and also, I um, the, the Baron, I think, is Stella's dad. Uh, yeah. He has such a cool outfit when he <laughs> arrives. He's got this, like, black leather cape with these, like, metal studs on the trim. It's like, and this cane. He looks yeah. so cool. Like, yeah. really, really cool. He's like a weapons dealer. But they, um, I don't know if you know his ship. Uh, it's called the Festoon as well. Uh, when they were designing it, they were told to design a spaceship that Donald Trump would would have. So they made it look ridiculous and huge and gaudy. And there's a golden lion on the front of it for no reason no. whatsoever, which I just love as a little touch. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool ship. Uh, it's it's really yeah for for something that appears for like very briefly for a few seconds to cart him away kind of thing. It's it's cool. But yeah, um, again, I love that we we. Throughout the episode, you're like, I hope Mud pays for this. And I think there's no finer way for me that as, as a fan of TOS and knowing his particular distaste for his wife that, you know, they, they end it with make sure Mud stays by your daughter's side. And I was like, that's justice. <laughs> I'm happy enough with that. There we go. Um, really responded to the line at the end when Ash says that he's just sad they missed their first kiss because it happened. Oh, in one I was of thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I didn't love the uh, the log entry at the ending because it seemed very like we have to wrap things up like an episode of Scrubs quickly at the end here. So it seemed like it had no real relevance other than, and this is what happened this week. Goodbye. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they should have probably ended yeah. on the Tyler line. Normally, Burnham's log entries usually, I'd say nine times out of ten, I really like them. This one was kind of arb for me. Like, it was a little bit arbitrary. Um, like, didn't really stick with me that much. I think she's got the most beautiful voice. So, I mean, I just want to listen to her talk all day. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I still don't mind that she can say what no, she no. wants. But it didn't. It was kind of like, eh, you know, okay. Um, so, did you have any last thoughts quickly about the episode before I move to the, the next section? Um, I just wanted to say that the Gormaganda um, reminded me of um, this great episode of LeVar Burton Reads, um, or the LeVar Burton Reads episode reminded me of the Gormaganda, which you can take yeah. that whichever way around. Um, he reads uh, a short story by Karen um, Osborne, um, who wrote Architects of Memory. Um, the short story is called An Equal Share of the Bone, mm. and it's great. And um, you know, I highly recommend like you or anyone who's listening to go and listen to it. Partly because I mean, Laval Burton has the most amazing voice, um, and also like uh, it's just it's such a cool story. And it's also about it's never explicitly said that these are space whales that they are hunting, but it's very space whale ish, um, okay. and it's beautifully written. Awesome. Uh, I always love getting recommendations. So yeah, audience, if uh, if you're listening, um, again, if you've, if you've watched the episode, you know the next section, but it's just basically a little capper on the uh, episode, which is the section that I call Gene's vision, which is how does the episode fit into the kind of um, the Gene's mighty vision ideology of Star Trek and which parts of it do you think would be representative of that? Um, so did you have anything that you think you would uh, pick up on from this episode that would be very particularly Trek-esque? 
Hmm, I think anything that messes with time um, is leaning Trek-esque, um, yeah. just because there's so many classic episodes that, that play around with it. Uh, I also like it when a, a new time episode comes along and it pushes the envelope a bit. You know, they try to approach it from a different angle, see, um, you know, how, how else could this have gone down? How else could this play out? Um, and having Stamets as existing outside of the time loop is a very, very cool version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy the, um, the, 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 the existence of the time crystal makes so many cool plot lines possible. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it's the fact that it's it's a crazy sci-fi idea, but it's used to explore such little aspects of humanity. I think is the point, and the importance of one person in Stamets and everything. Um, and you know the the fact that it's ultimately love that is, I guess, saves the day because it's about how Burnham is able to connect with Stamets and Tyler in different ways. Um, yeah, so that, and it's about uh, that trust that they have with each other. Yes. You know, like you know, she can go up to Tyler and say, you know, we've got thirty minutes. And he trusts her enough to say, okay, cool, well, let's get it done. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, just a few little things as well. I mentioned already, but the protocols for the Gormaganda are very representative, I think, of the, the Trek-esque ideology of, like, we, we're here for all kinds of life and to try and protect it. Uh, it's a little thing, but it's. It, I thought it was mm-hmm. nice. Um, I love that. that absolutely. I love that diversity and intelligence are celebrated, and that's ultimately what wins the day. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, all different types of people working together, and it's what defeats kind of mode because he's working alone. Uh, and again, I've already mentioned it, but Saru kind of pleading to stop bloodshed is a really small, vital moment, but that's very well acted and very... Yeah. You know, uh, and really Stamets giving himself up and Burnham giving herself up. You know, there's, a lot, of, um, there's a lot of bravery and self-sacrifice. Yes, we, yeah, absolutely. That's worth mentioning because absolutely, it happens a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> Self sacrifices. We already mentioned Burnham kind of swallowing the thing that would kill her horribly, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, did you have a conclusion uh, and a score for this episode? And then I'll give mine. Hmm, a score out of what? Uh, well, I basically do uh, a score out of five Starfleet Deltas. It's basically Ooh, five stars, good. but I just make them into Starfleet Deltas because <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i very aware that um, everything that we, all entertainment that we consume, regardless of the medium, is uh, created by people, um, and people, ha- you know, aren't perfect, everyone's got their own approach, their own preferences, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I would struggle to give it less than five, um, because even the little things that I think maybe would have been, done, I, I would have done differently, or um, you know, cut out like that weird line about I'm not bad, I'm mud, you know. Yeah. Um yeah, I think it all makes the episode fun and you know quirky. Uh and yeah, it's it's awesome to watch. And you know, five out of five, I'd watch it again. Awesome. Uh fine, cool. Uh well I've again I always have my conclusion written down just because I don't have the ability to not read it, so it might sound a tad robotic, but I just said <laughs> Um, it's a highlight of a first season that I found to be frequently lacking on first watch. It's probably the most standalone the season got, but it's still reliant on a little bit of prior knowledge. However, I feel like it's able to still be enjoyed outside of the ongoing story arcs, as we mentioned. Uh, I think Rain Wilson pulls off a serviceable channeling of Roger C. Carmel's exuberant rogue, though his character and the events he instigates get a bit too dark for my liking. Uh, the ending tie into the original series, though, was brilliant, ingeniously handled within the corner con man plot 
but also just appealing to my fan nostalgia. Uh, sure, it's cheap, but it works. <laughs> I think uh, Sonequa Martin-Green, Anthony Rapp and Shazad Latif are great in their performances, with the former two being standout, particularly in the often aforementioned dancing scene that I've brought up. Uh, the direction is bold and flashy, which befits the story, though again, the lighting leaves something to be desired for me. Uh, yes, there are still some canon slash continuity problems that I won't get into because it's nothing too egregious in my opinion. It certainly doesn't harm the story. Uh, I like that the story does still develop the all-important interpersonal relationships of the crew and slyly hints at the mystery of Lorca, as well as being an entertaining enough 50 minutes or so. Uh, I'd say ultimately it was a lightweight romp of a story that should have stayed a bit lighter, uh, and I would say three out of five Starfleet Deltas for this one. Uh, but that's... Cool. So it makes the average pretty easy to work out from a five and a three uh, for the podcast. We have a this episode is four Starfleet Deltas out of five. Uh, Yay! <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head where that places it on the leaderboard. I think it would be uh, above Encounter at Far Point, but below the other two that we've done, maybe. I would have to double check that. But uh, yeah, so uh, right. The one last thing then, which is to uh, get into the section that again, I have a funky track name for, and I call it the subspace communication section, which is basically my fancy term for audience interaction. <laughs> so I always put out kind of tweets and social media posts to ask other people's opinions on the episodes we'll be reviewing. Uh, and I just want to share a few of them here, just so we've got a wider range of kind of opinions and stuff. Um, so bear with me. Uh, the first one is from Julie Ann, or J.A., who you probably know from Star Trek Twitter. She's uh, quite active and really lovely. <laughs> she says, I love time loop. My favorite Star Trek episode is Cause and Effect, and this seemed like a nod to that. I love how each time they, each time around they get closer to a fix, and I love watching them repeat things. Fair enough. Um, Chris at Shelf Nerds says, It's fun, but my favorite aspect of the episode is the crew working together like a traditional Starfleet crew. Agree with that. Uh, yeah. Philly's, <laughs> Philly's OKS Lawyer simply says, Absolutely phenomenal episode. Okay. <laughs> uh, nice. yeah, I know, right? So, short but to the point. At Decca Millionaire says, I'm less a fan of Discovery Season 1 than Season 2. Season 3 is in between, but as far as Rain Wilson's Harry Mudd, he's far too powerful compared to Roger C. Carmel and the Harcourt Fenton Mudd Kirk and Company meet later on. Not sure about that. I, I, I kind of agree, but I think if you watch iMud when he's controlling planetfuls of androids, <laughs> it's a, he's fairly overpowered yeah, <laughs> they play it off lightly, but there's several moments where you're like, this is some wild shit he's doing. Right <laughs> Absolutely, <now." laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like that's consistent with um, the, the, the newer mud. You know, like he's really going for it. Like if, <laughs> if he comes right, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is a different time as well, because this was a, a debate I did get back and forth with. But um, again, not too angry or anything. It was just a disagreement I had with at Skimmerad, Steve Wassling who says, I broadly liked it, but I didn't really like Psycho Harry Mudd. He really does seem to be a different character. I think they've done this enough times to make their protest that this is still the core timeline a bit bizarre. Who cares if it's a different timeline anyway? Uh, but I kind of went back and forth and just said, I don't think it's different enough at all to say that it has to be a different timeline. I think this is a Mudd from before the original series, and we kind of literally see how he ends up in those predicaments and situations. And again, if you've seen I Mudd, what happens here is no worse or weird than we kind of see of him there. So I'm less sort of like, well, it's, it's such a different character. Because I don't think it is. I think Rain Wilson plays him so much as well. Like, it absolutely is the same person. And if you watch um, the Escape Artist short track, it bridges the gap even further. 
um, mm. towards the person that we all know in the original series. So if you haven't seen that, I thoroughly recommend it as well, which I know you have because you've already mentioned it. <laughs> I love that. I love that short trick. It was so fun. It was, absolutely. Um, I've got a few more things anyway. Uh, pretending it's a crinoid, Doctor Who fan, says um, it's one of the only Discovery Europe episodes I can remember. Good fun. Uh, at yeah. Jessica Shaffalo says, has become one of my favourite Trek episodes ever in my top 10 overall, easily competes for number one disco spot. Also, much of the success has to be attributed to the casting of Rian Wilson as Mud Chef's Kiss. So, <laughs> and then she's she just put a little gif of uh, Harry Mudd saying, wherever you go, people sing the praises of Harry Mudd. <laughs> <laughs> Great gift choice. Yeah, Rian Wilson, excellent casting for this. I he agree. really killed it. Absolutely. Uh, at Trek fan Rick has left a sort of three-part thread here and just says, uh, I really enjoyed it. I think the way Discovery portrayed Mud was excellent. I was always a little uncomfortable with the lovable rogue who was trafficking people and Discovery <laughs> from the edge that he should have had. <laughs> ah, it's just some, uh, some lovable uh, like trafficking. I don't know why everyone's getting so like, tortured about this. It's just, you Absolutely, know. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, he says, he's personable, he's funny, but he's still a horrible person. Fair enough. Uh, I also really liked what they did with Stamets here. He had the knowledge but needed help to save the ship, and that meant he had to befriend Burnham in a whole new way to gain her trust anew. It was really well done. Also, I could go on for hours. It was a nice change of pace with the interconnected story of Discovery. This was close to a standalone episode, which we've said. And though it had plenty going on, was almost a breather in the midst of the big story. Um, yeah, those are all such great points. Yeah, the thing about Stamets having to, um, you know, develop his relationship further with Burnham, that's really great point. Yeah. Very, very cleverly, cleverly um, executed. Completely agree. Um, there was something related to that when uh, I was curious about kind of the ongoing plot and what happens with it. Uh, and in the course of my research for the episode, I learned as well that this is the first episode of Discovery not to feature the Klingons, um, although they are referenced as being who Mud would sell mm -hmm. the ship to. And I was like, oh, that kind of contributes to the whole idea of it being standalone from the Klingon war story. Um, so, yeah, I like that. Obviously, it doesn't include... You know, the episode does have Ash Tyler, which we all... Yeah, I was about with. to say, I mean... Uh, <laughs> but, but, but yes, I mean, no, like, face-to-face, -face, like, Klingon-ness. Yes, that. exactly, yeah. For all uh, intents and purposes, he's, he's like, human Ash Tyler. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, that would probably just about wrap us up, I think. I've genuinely had a really, really good time talking to you, uh, Kelly. I've, I think you've been... Uh, Really informative, and I think hopefully everyone will enjoy listening because I have. So there you go. Um, it's <laughs> really lovely to meet you, and I'm genuinely uh, honoured that you agreed to come on and uh, share your expertise and your opinions on Trek with us. So uh, yeah, awesome! Thanks. It's always great chatting. It's, it's um, and also always great chatting about Star Trek Discovery. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, you seem like an awesome, friendly uh, lady. So do you have anywhere that you uh, you like to show out, like uh, personal social medias or anything where people can contact or or not? Uh, I mean, I am a Trek troll on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and I'm always happy to chat. Um, so, yeah, if anyone wants to talk Star Trek or anything else, you can always just ping me. Absolutely. That's at Trek Trill, by the way, if anyone's having trouble with the accent, because it does sound a little bit like Trek Troll, and she's not a troll at all, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a troll. Thank you. I actually had, I used to have such a problem with that because um, my, my surname ends in Troll. Yes. Um, felt the same way. So um, uh, a few of my friends through the years have called me Troll, and um, I can't introduce myself as Troll because it sounds like Troll. Yeah, it's um, just an accent thing, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it works in South Africa, but anything outside, and it just falls apart, unfortunately. 
Oh, but no, it's a it's a big world, and it's nice to uh, to meet different people from everywhere. But uh, yeah, sometimes the language barrier can be a pain in the neck, unfortunately, gone it. But uh, yeah. well, I understand you, <laughs> which is a, an achievement considering my uh, very northeast English accent. I think at times, so yeah. Um, I mean, I must tell you, the year that I spent there, I understood no one at all. <laughs> I was like, is this even English? It was brutal for me. It was so brutal. It was my first time outside of South Africa. So I was like, I was really, and I, I flew in and I landed in Newcastle Airport. So I was literally like, is this a different planet? <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, uh, I attribute my somewhat more understandable accent to the fact that I was raised on Next Generation listening to Patrick Stewart. So as much as I heard people speaking kind of broad Geordie accents, I also heard Captain's log, Stardate, Forty. Ooh, you do that well, very well. <laughs> Absolutely, I think it's it's a little mix of uh, Ant and Deck and uh, Captain Picard. I think in the accent, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> either here or there. So, no, thanks so much again. Hopefully, we can uh, keep in touch and still communicate. And uh, I'd love to have you on again to discuss uh, some various things in, uh, in future if we carry on with the podcast and stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Great, and uh, yeah. Join us uh, next week for another episode. I will be joined by Trek fan Rick, who contributed to his discovery review to the uh, section earlier. Uh, and we are going to be looking at the Deep Space Nine pilot, Emissary. So that will be interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, you can find me at Ian Mike Wilson on Twitter, or the podcast is at HOMTrek. That's at HOMTrek. Just think of Mr. Hom from Star Trek. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So thanks again, Kelly. And, uh, Catch us next week. In the meantime, everyone, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. <laughs>